we'll just leave it now. Well, that's good at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will close this computer too. Stay. Okay. I think it did. <laughs> it doesn't come down accidentally. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to Geisel Library. My name is Nina Mamakunian. I'm the Literature and Theater and Dance Library here um, at the UCSD Library. Welcome to the new writing series. We are thrilled to have you for our third installment. Um, just a quick couple announcements before we begin. Um, the bathrooms and the water fountain are located right out that back door. Um, if you need them. If you need to leave the reading before the reading is over, we do ask that you use that back door or whichever door is least disruptive to the reading. Um, uh, we will be having a Q&A afterwards, um, and please wait for the mic to reach you. We are recording this reading um, to put in our catalog so that you can listen to it uh, later at your leisure. You can download it, um, stream it, lots of fun stuff like that. Um, uh, so please wait for the mic to get to you so we can pick up your question um, for the recording. Uh, that's, oh, one other thing is to please pull out your phones and put them on do not disturb or silent or even off uh, so that nothing disturbs the reading. Thank you very much. And with that, I'd like to bring up Professor Amelia Glazer. Welcome. Um, it's really a pleasure to be able to introduce Dr. Dimitri Kuzmin to UC San Diego, to welcome him to UC San Diego and to California. Dimitri has just spent the first part of the week uh, giving poetry readings and lectures in Los Angeles at various universities. Uh, Kuzmin is one of the most active poets, editors, and translators in Russian today, um, and is among those working in the Russian-speaking diaspora. Uh, he can be credited as a translator and editor with bringing a large number of contemporary poets into the Russian language. Having left Russia for Latvia in 2014, he founded Literature Without Borders in Ozulniki. I actually had the good fortune to visit uh, his small corner of paradise in the Baltics last summer. Um, I um, visited Kuzmin in Ozulniki in my efforts to begin a new project on contemporary Ukrainian literary culture and how it translates into Russian. And Dmitry proved to be the ideal starting point for this project, as he's been he's been instrumental in calling attention to contemporary Ukrainian in poetry, especially in Russian. In addition to his many accomplishments and talents, Dmitri is an extremely generous colleague. The residency and publishing house in Latvia focuses on translations, and he's been instrumental in bringing writers together to translate one another in this space. In 2017, he also founded and remains the primary coordinator of the annual Poetry Without Borders Festival in Riga, Latvia. Dmitry Kuzmin was born in Moscow into a family of literary figures. He is the son of a literary critic and the grandson of the beloved literary translator Nora Gal. He graduated from Moscow State Pedagogical University in 1993, and then in 2005 got a PhD from Samara State Pedagogical University. He's taught poetry and literary translation internationally, including at Princeton in 2014. He won the Andrei Bieli Prize for Merit in Literature in 2002. This is 
perhaps the highest literary honor in Russia, something of the Russian Pulitzer. Uh, his book-length study of one-line poems, the first of its kind in any language, um, was also published by the leading Russian humanities publisher, Nova Literaturne Abasrenia, or the NLO, in 2016. He's the co-editor of the textbook Poetry, which came out in 2016 and which was named the best educational book at the Moscow International Book Fair. Uh, in 89, Quizmin founded Vavilon, or Babylon, a union of young poets, which later became the center of Moscow's experimental poetry scene. He began leading in 1993 the Argo Risk publishers. Up to 15 titles of present-day Russian poetry appear yearly. And in 1996, he began editing the Vavilon Internet Project, which includes an anthology of contemporary Russian writing, about 200 writers at the moment. Uh, since 2006, he's edited Vozduch, translated as Air, the leading Russian poetry magazine in Russian. Uh, Kuzmin has also run Moscow Literary Life Monthly Review, and this was between 96 and 2002. Uh, the first Russian young writers magazine, Vavilon, from 1992 to 2003. The first Russian gay literary magazine, Risk, 1996 to 2002. The first Russian haiku magazine, Triton, which, did you know that we are the Tritons at UC San Diego, 2000 to 2004, um, among others. Kuzmin's edited anthologies include the first Russian anthology of prose poems, which came out in 2000, the first anthology of contemporary Russian poetry written outside of Russia, which came out in 2004, an anthology of contemporary Russian poetry in Slovenian translation in 2010, and an anthology of contemporary Russian LGBT writing in Spanish translation in 2014. Kuzmin's poems have appeared in translations in the U.S., in the U.K., France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Poland, Serbia, Slovenia, Croatia, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Uzbekistan, and China. Um, I don't even think I see Ukraine on this list, so this is not a complete list. As a translator, Kuzmin has primarily translated American writers from E.E. E. Cummings and Charles Reznikov to C.K. Williams and Oliver Bendorf. But he also translates from the French, Ukrainian, and most recently, Latvian poetry. He's also the co he has also co-edited and co-translated the anthology of present-day Latin American poetry published in Moscow last year. Kuzmin's 400-page book of his own poems and translations, Хорошо Живым, It's Good to Be Alive, appeared in 2008 and won uh, the Moskovsky Shot Award for the Best Debut Poetry Collection. His second book of poetry, which is selected uh, poems titled Blankets Are Not Included or Kovdri Neperedbachene, uh, um, appeared in 2018 in Ukrainian translation in Ternopil. It is really a pleasure to welcome Dmitry Kuzmin to San Diego. Please. Thank you very much. Which one is working, by the way? Oh, this or that? Or any? I think this one. Yes. Okay. I believe I will be heard anyway, but, but still. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, the complication is that obviously I write poetry in Russian and uh, I don't believe uh, all of you can follow and relate. Uh, so uh, 
basically I think I will read one poem in Russian just to let you know uh, how it sounds uh, and how it works. Uh, and then I will uh, switch uh, to English and will uh, read my poems in English translations. And these translations were made by uh, different people in different time. And some of them are absolutely brilliant, some other maybe not that much, but, but, but still, uh, well, it's possible to, to, to get a certain idea. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I am apologizing in advance for some, uh, like, possible mispronunciation in the course of it, because my English is mostly uh, like written rather than uh, spoken. I, I, I read in English, I uh, translate uh, from English into Russian, uh, but uh, usually I have a chance to speak English uh, about maybe once a year or several years when being invited to a brilliant uh, American university like this one, right? So, uh, I'm sorry for possible mistakes and, uh, and complications. Два мальчика и девочка с первого курса журфака под впечатлением от мечтателей Бертолуччи пробегают, взявшись за руки анфиладу сквозных дворов с редкими аполитичными граффити. Несколько раз, среди прочего, крупно выписано «Зачем?» нетвердым гротеском. Попадают на итальянскую, влетают в подъезд с лепниной, заранее присмотренной, со сломанным домофоном. Мальчики начинают целоваться, расстегивая друг другу джинсы. Девочка пролетом ниже стоит на стрёме. У ростового немытого окна с видом на русский музей невнимательно листает номер городского глянца с первой публикацией одного из мальчиков в разделе «Клубное кино». В твоем авторском экземпляре прямо поперек заметки расписался красным маркером режиссер одного из фильмов, изловленный полгода спустя на Выборгском фестивале. На той же полке ты держишь фотографии мамы в юности и распечатанные из интернета Тексты Портисхед «Got to try a little harder, it could be sweet». Двух мальчиков и девочку вспугнула старуха с верхней площадки. Они скачут через две ступеньки, забывая подобрать отставленную одним бутылку шампанского и сброшенный другим серый плащ в тон городу. По темнеющим улицам, сомкнув ряды, движутся подержанные машины. Стреляет глушитель, мусорник горит на углу. Девочка пристает к прохожим на остановке, спрашивает время, сигарету, жвачку. Мальчики вспоминают, что надо застегнуть джинсы, отворачиваются к стене с газетным стендом в часе пик, заголовок, Петербург, в ожидании, Нордоста. That's uh, how it sounds in Russian, usually, when I read in Russian, uh, in Russia or in any other country uh, of the predominant, uh, Russian, uh, predominantly Russian audience. Uh, I am not sure I am able to provide the same drive while reading in English. Uh, so uh, make a certain excuse about it. Um, 
this poem is translated uh, by the very good uh, American poet of Russian origin, Philip Nikolaev from Boston. Uh, we knew each other when both of us were 16 in Moscow and we were aspiring, more or less aspiring, uh, Russian young poets, uh, very young ones. Uh, and then uh, he happened to become American poet instead, <laughs> which is, well, not that bad destiny as well. Uh, he edits uh, a yearly uh, poetry magazine Fulcrum in Boston, which is rather good, though a bit, a bit too conservative for me. Uh, for decay. A certain 27-year-old uh, poet in a state of drunkenness called a certain 38-year-old uh, poet familiarly by his pet name of Mitya. Then, a 23-year-old female poet retorted from dripping sarcasm that in a certain, if a certain 54-year-old poet were present, he'd no doubt be addressing him as Sergei. A certain 17 years old poet who happened to be present stared at her in admiration. And the 38 years old poet suddenly recalled a passage from a memoir essay by a certain 62 years old poet about a certain 70 years old poet who had died 25 years previously. Shortly before his, his death, he had asked the author of the memoir to be on a first-name basis with him, to drop the reverend patronymic and to use the familiar form of you. But the memoirist couldn't at the time bring himself to do so. A fact he regrets more and more sorely each passing year. On reading that essay, the 38-year-old poet made an effort in his correspondence to address the 62-year-old poet by his first and last name, dropping the patronymic, but using the formal form of you, because the 62-year-old poet had never explicitly invited familiarity, though signing his letters with the diminutive Grisha. Following this exchange, the 23-year-old female poet went to roam the night train with the 17-year-old poet the 27-year-old poet passed out, and the 38-year-old poet wrote this poem and pondered candidates for the dedicatee. Setting finally on the 17-year-old poet, because he wished more than anything else to be with him or to be him 
which incidentally is the same thing, and also because the two of them turned out to have identical initials. The next uh, two poems are translated in Princeton by the brilliant Misha Semenov, the Vale Victorian of the Princeton University, uh, whom I was trying to persuade to go to, to become the poet translator. And he had the greatest abilities of doing so, but uh, chosen otherwise, unfortunately for all of us. But still, he managed to translate several poems of mine. Father squatted down on the porch and clicked his lighter. I thought for a bit, then dropped down beside him given up on spotless white jeans. Over on the right, a cat snoozed on a stack of wood, incredibly furry, generously seasoned with little bits of sawdust. Across from us, shrunken in all her 96 years, a grandmother drowned in her beach chair looking like Mickey Mouse with her oversized sized headphones, fiddling with the dials of her radio set. Over to the left, past the hedge of flocks, a pair of aspens shivered, and a small trail led off to an abandoned raspberry patch. Yesterday, Father looked over to the right and took a drag. He brought in a squirrel, already suffocated. Looked like a young one, this summer's brood. I almost cried. I feel sorry for it. It's a squirrel after all. Well, yeah, I answered. For him, it's nothing but a rat, basically, just with a tail. And I suddenly had this sharp feeling that this episode wasn't part of my life, that this was some American movie from the middle of the 60s, say, a Hemingway story, in the early morning on the lake, sitting in the stern of the boat with his father rowing, Nick felt quite sure that he would never die. But no. The scenes all being filmed now, since the sentiments no longer need to be concealed. And it seems I even know the contents of the previous installment. It was with that same feeling in a half-assed red hole by the Hamburg railway station, rented for three hours before dawn, that I latched with my clenched teeth onto little Jose's chocolate nape when Jason coal black, screwed out my nipples with fingers of iron. Uh, there is a problem here, you know, an intercult intercultural problem, because you Americans 
has nothing about uh, squirrels, like no compassion, no empathy at all. <laughs> but we Russians, it's completely different with us. Sunny morning, Vasya, clad in heel-length territorial. From the windowsill, the mandarin bush stretches out its branches to him. The house across the street dawns orange before his eyes. A pack of crab sticks and coffee without sugar for breakfast. Sugar isn't to the true mother's taste. With love from Fyodor, written on the mug, and a picture of a little bunny with a giant butcher's knife. Fyodor grins silently from his corner, twirls the new skull ring on his finger, takes aim for the pastry with the most cream. Lyric, in his silk pajama, stern in his just-awakened state, prepares a steam omelette, steeps a tea of complicated composition, sprinkles the hoi plant, grumbles, crumbs on the tablecloth again. Again you further go for it without a spoon too scared to ask. Seva and Kirill tumble out from the bath, riled up by an argument over the elimination of the death penalty. Kirill's nose, smoothered with Seva's special cream, strictly pure and natural and helpful against every ailment out there, including but not limited to the spots of acne visible only to Kirill himself. The dispute drones out at the news of further plans. For some, the kinetic art retrospective, for some, role-playing in the world of darkness. Lyric clears a space on the table for the teapot, moves the vase with Vasya's roses over, and smiles for the first time. You know, if you just imagine then that you and I no longer exist, I'd rather be more or less looking at all this from somewhere up above, wouldn't you? It's my small ode to the polyamory, you know. Uh, this part of reading, the first half, uh, these are, I would say, pre-war poems written uh, before 2014. Because after that, all the poems in present-day Russian poetry are like war poets, in a sense, to a certain degree, to a great degree in my, in my, in my case. But sometimes pre-war poems uh, are also poems about war, somehow. Like, for instance, this one is translated uh, the ne ne next several next uh, poems are translated by n n Fisher from Wisconsin 
Michigan. I'm sorry. Uh, of the four of them, really, just two are plain. The other two simply sidestep them, slowly walking catty corner across the enormous rectangular square in, in front of an enormous rectangular church. But the first ones keep on running in circles, gathering, heaping handfuls of fresh, sifting snow, taking aim at each other, and especially often at the third one, a little older, in a long coat, not a jacket, the stubble barely apparent on his jaws, letting the snowy powder that wasn't put to use, after all, sift back down to earth, and gathering up new handfuls as they sleep, catching their balance in capricious poses to match the strange sculptures along the lateral facade, shouting with excitement to each other in Lithuanian. The third, simply smiling and ducking his head. Finally, the fourth one's fed up with it. He shoots like a bullet up a couple dozen steps to a bell tower standing off by itself, taking the violin case off his back on the run, leans it against the wall so it doesn't get in the way, scoops a dollop of snow off the balustrade, packs a snowball and lands it right between the shoulder blades of the smallest, the one in the navy blue parka. The third laughs, appeased, and says in accented Russian, got him. Um, okay. You can imagine that I'm just uh, retelling you some movie. In many cases, with my poetry, it's the, the best uh, way to get it. Just try to, to see this movie inside the head. In Smolensk, the train compartment filled up. I had to go back to my assigned seat and heave the huge half-empty suitcase from the aisle up to the overhead shelf, hoping the train wouldn't sway too much. Everyone is talking endlessly on their phones. The most blaring, gold-toothed voice, the one arbitrarily mixing Russian words with some kind of Turkish ones finally leaves, revealing itself to be a young, chiseled brunette in heavy furs. Only one, the one beautiful boy in my field of vision, with, in an, with an ineffably Barcelonian style. So then, now I'm mentally calling a guy with a beard and moustache, boy.
This is less their new fashion than my new age. Writes in silence. Although he occasionally steps out to charge his phone at the electric razor outlet by the crapper. I have fallen asleep. Behind me I hear kids talking about school, repeating the, the words, syllabotonic verse. Then the train stops as it's coming into Moscow. The passengers pour out onto the tracks, gather in clusters, guess whether it will even get moving again, not anytime soon. Evidently, judging by the fact that cars on the butlers starting to distribute paper plates with triangles of pizza. I had a big breakfast in Minsk, although that was a while ago. We didn't actually need anything sweet to go with our tea, and neither of us were there for the second pastry anyway, rather the third one to split. Had to leave it in the fridge, maybe the maid will want it. And that ability to kiss goodbye just before the train or bus leaves and then walk away without looking back, it gets me every time I would definitely look back. Now he's returned again with his phone charged, the boy from Barcelona, and he's sitting differently I see the concentrated expression on his face and his big hands, his gadget, cradled in them, his quick, gentle thumbs touching the face of screen. And the next one for the contest consists of just two lines. A little pistachio ice cream for the one you can't save from war. And here the poems of the wartime begin. Uh, and the next, ne next translations, several next translations were made in the Pennsylvania University during the translation workshop. I cannot uh, name all the names because it was a huge crowd of translators uh, struggling with the same poem. Unbelievable. Uh, ah, the next poem uh, demands uh, two uh, additional notes. Uh, uh, everybody knows uh, what the numbers 14 and 88 mean. It's kind of code for neo-Nazi. 14 uh, stands for 14 words. 14 words is kind, uh, kind of slogan of world neo-Nazis. Uh, the, the slogan consists of 14 words. You can Google it uh, and know what 14 words uh, um, these are. And 88 is also neo-Nazi number. It stands for double H, Heil Hitler. Uh, and also there, there is a girl named Zazi mentioned. 
This is the girl from uh, the great novel by the French writer Raymond Queneau, Zazie dans le métro, Zazie in the underground. And uh, this uh, novel is filmed by the greatest uh, French film director, Louis Malle, about half a century ago. Recent data from a sociological survey, 88% of the population of my country are fascist. I'm reading this fucked up news in a subway cattle car. True, they don't survey minors, but it's hopeless with parents, teachers, and fellow travelers like this. 88, clever number. Now you don't have to hide behind the 14's back. Of course, this is only on average, I think. In my country's parliament, it's up to probably 100%, with, while at yesterday's poetry reading, maybe no more than zero. But it's unlikely that people stink worse at October Revolution Station than they do at Komsomol Station, for chance has brought them together there. I think there are about a hundred people in the car, but you can't guess who are the remaining twelve. Could it be that mulatto in a white t-shirt with black Russian letters treat others just like you want them to treat you? I can only imagine the kind of experience behind that. Or that boy in his early twenties with the violet hair, he's got to be one that'll get him a beating in a bad neighborhood. And that one, same age with the red-green tattoo on his shin. Well, maybe not, he's, he's too ripped. That old man further down, with three days stubble and military ribbons, who is reading Komsomol Pravda? Absolutely not. That other one, with a neat little bird and the new gazette, who knows it's not guaranteed. The elderly lady, without makeup, with a flimsy pamphlet in her hands. You can't tell if it's recipes. There's a chance, but if it's prayers, no way. Hard to see further into the depth of the car. But someone could, of course, be masked with nothing about their clothes, their hair, or their manners to give them away. This is a useful skill. And you, Zazie, a little older now, still with straight bangs, red slacks instead of that tangerine sweater, one earring in her right ear. Watch out. Don't assume people can't see you hugging a girlfriend in the crowd. Don't assume your being a minor will soften anyone. And if one of the 88 pushes the red button, the engineer can summon the Gestapo on duty to come right to the car doors at Lenin Prospect Station. So, then he says to me, I'm a messenger now. 
You'll never guess what they have me deliver. Butterflies. Like for parties. You know, so they fly around. And he looks at me, the asshole, as if I'm supposed to flip out. Wow, a butterfly, that's so beautiful. But for me, these butterflies might as well be turds. It's like shit flying around. Do I turn a look at her? Or to hell with her? Gentrification is what you have here, my dear Muscovites. The bars and pubs, the red brick, they tempt you with craft beer, good old England, no more no less, for fancy college kids on their way back from class, and patrons from a theater whose director has been cast into jail. Shall I lead you out of Kursk Railway Station, madam? Where's my magic pipe? But how do I get the Kursk Railway Station out of you? Can I draw it out with my song? It's a bit complicated. It demands some long comments about what is the Kursk Railway Station for Russian cultural subconsciousness, but, um, you know, it's, it's maybe the most uh, powerful impression of present-day uh, Russian capital, uh, Moscow city. It goes so well. It looks so, like, moving, running on. So gentrificated, and people enjoy their craft beer, and eighty-eight percent of inhabitants don't remember there is a war going on. Kevin, don't put your hand on his knee. He lied when he said he was 21. He doesn't love you, doesn't want it, or even wants to try it. It's just cool when a star singles you out, when a star gets drunk just like us, gets flustered and sweaty just like us, moves in, Tentative, just like us, demeans himself, just like us, goes to take a piece, like us, right on cue. And now his American beauty will take off, remembering how this scene can end in a pool of blood and brains. Kevin, tell him, this isn't Hollywood. Here you can even, even believe a bad actor. It's your call. They want to do good. And for themselves, too. But above all, for the nation, the people, 
for all people, but especially for us, you and me. For kindred souls, those like themselves. Well, not quite like themselves. Let's face it, not so bright, not so bold, not so free, not free inside. Not ready for anything, afraid of real challenges. Not ready to pay the price, show true grit. Unwilling to shut their eyes or hold their noses. Only, let's face it, ready to envy those doing good. Sniping behind their backs, pouring into their souls. Why ask what's in their souls? What's it to you, what it costs them? What they gave for the good, how much they got for it, they did what was necessary. It's as simple as that and did a great job because you can always do the good thing. Doing the good is always good. Uh, it's even maybe uh, not so easy to explain to a foreign audience why this poem is so political. Uh, but uh, in an authoritarian uh, uh, regime in, 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 uh, under the dictatorship, uh, you have to pay for any attempt uh, of doing things. Like, for instance, we have... Uh, uh, a nice guy uh, uh, heading the National uh, Museum of Literature. Uh, he's doing a great job promoting uh, Russian literature, high culture, great names. But uh, to keep uh, uh, his position, he was uh, only forced to get a public speech supporting uh, the army invasion uh, into Ukraine. Not a big deal, right? But there are some buts. Uh, okay. These uh, this is complicated uh, and highly political and uh, incomprehensible, but just see it as just poetry. Maybe it, more, it works that, uh, that way either. It's translated by Philip Nikolaev again. It's about our president, by the way. These fish eyes see right through folk to the full depth. They unfold the angle of vision to a straight line. With folk to the right, folk to the left, and folk ahead. One must navigate this vicious milieu slowly, pushing one's way through the jelly of the folk, wherein the bottom relief is bizarrely refracted, and goats and Tasers are bashfully concealed. 
These calm leadership fisheyes round out the line of the horizon, tucking the edges inward. While everything is dark abroad, there's no there there. Light from the east cannot escape from its black hole. Einstein's god is sophisticated, but not malicious. Folk are teeming most vigorously on all sides, and those fish eyes cannot be turned off nor away. And then there will be two long poems and then a small postscriptum. Uh, the first one is translated by Alex Siegel and has a, an epigraph from Catullus. And believe me or not, there is a true line of Catullus. This is how I fuck you in the ass and in the mouth. Pedicabo egovos et irrumabo. It sounds in Latin. And it is as true as all the facts in the following poem. On the day of the Russian Literary Assembly, called together at the behest of the office of the president by the descendants of famous Russian writers, Pushkin, Lermontov, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Pasternak, Sholokhov, and Solzhenitsyn. Three of the seven descendants turned out to be fake. A widow, a daughter-in-law, a third cousin thrice removed. Particularly felt was the absence of the houses of Gogol and Saltykov-Shedrin. I thought to myself, I fuck in the ass and in the mouth your spiritual ties. I fuck in the ass and in the mouth your traditional values. I fuck in the ass and in the mouth your crocodile tears shed for the most well-read and most writers executed nation. Fuck in the ass and in the mouth your deeply seated sense of alarm about impoverishment of thought and, in consequence, bewilderment of souls among the people on a daily basis ravished by the official media. Fuck in the ass and in the mouth your panels and empowered assemblies, your commissions and committees, your banquets and buffets. I fuck in the ass and in the mouth your familial pride, you are the G's from the fable, fit only to be roasted on a spit. And in the evening, my beloved boy comes to visit me, a dreamy writer, but who collapses in exhaustion every night after a 12-hour work shift in a footwear store, and night and morning through, I fucked him in the mouth, but not in the ass, in the cunt, 
transsexual boys have a cunt. Kissed him all over, starting from his neck and moving lower and lower, careful to avoid the not yet healed after the mastectomy sore nipples, imbibing with my mouth between his legs, forcefully grasping, grasping his hips, so that he, twitching from the unbearability of pleasure, not bump his head against the bed's headboards. Hugged him, sapped of tension and rolled up into a fatal position and hummed a lullaby and whispered in French words of love. And with the late November dawning of a new day, hopeless as everything else in Russia, I thought to myself, one must not fuck in the ass and in the mouth spiritual foundations. One mustn't fuck in the ass and in the mouth traditional values. One mustn't fuck in the ass and mouth the hopes and aspirations of Russian intellectuals elbowing each other in long lines before the metal detectors that they may do their little jig to please King Herod while complaining that no VIP passes are being handed out to the living classics. It's unhygienic to stick your dick in that rot of festering putessence. You could contract a wretched disease, inflamed patriotism of the cerebral membranes, syphilis of the spirit, a pat patriarchy of the sexual and print organs. No, comrade descendants and you bedfellow degenerates, you'll have to pullulate on your own in your cadaveric puss. I'll be saving my member for my beloved, for my cherished mouths, the cunts precious to me, my favorite bottoms, living and undefiled, purified by the hygiene of love. I bring to the attention of the investigative authorities of the Russian Federation and of the other institutions of establishmentalized lawlessness functioning on the territory of my squalid nation. The present text is not liable under Statute 6.21 of the Russian Federation Legal Code regarding administrative violations of rights, even though it specifically cites appealing to non-traditional sexual relations because it is not intended for dissemination among minors. Anyone underage who inadvertently acquires it must immediately discard the read materials and banish any thoughts. An exemplary minor, an exemplary minor dependent of the Russian Federation, a future exemplar of a citizen of the Russian Federation, a future model writer of the Russian Federation, future model descendant of a literary figure, must be occupied only with the mouthpieces of authority that they may listen to decrees, and the anuses of authority that they be gainfully engaged swilling, swilling them, and the cantrap with which the Russian Federation will swiftly be a wash in, a subject of the Russian Federation mustn't pay attention to at all. This almost final poem uh, is titled 
as uh, distinct from the previous ones. And the title uh, says, as a declaration of one's ideological and political identification. It consists of two, uh, pa uh, three parts. Uh, we may say uh, it's three episodes of the same uh, short movie. I would say uh, all the three are the versions of Orpheus myth of somebody trying to get out of the underground. Translated by Yuliadlis. In a pedestrian subway, which was reduced to ashes, God knows how many years ago, by an explosion supposedly organized by Chechen terrorists, a girl rushes up to me with an artificial smile, dressed in a red light-reflecting uniform, the kind that road workers wear, and asks me for kind of Gallup poll. Is Russia a great country? A woman whom a short-term lover of mine knew, worked in a cheap bijouterie stall in this subway. Once we were walking here with him, and he stopped to chat with her about the new trinkets laying out for sale, methods of dieting, mom's health. I didn't remember her face, nor her name. Sasha had left me, put up weight, got married, and I'd want to know if she had survived the explosion. Second. In the tunnel, in Sadovoye Ring, where at the very beginning of the present epoch, a Jewish boy who wrote bad verse got drowned under the tank tracks. My companion, a golden girl of glossy magazines, sitting on the back seat of a Volga cab stinking of cheap tobacco, tells me that Barbie manufacturers, who have been guarding family values for 40 years, have at last to launch a new collection, openly erotic by the looks. After reading her short prose, which appears occasionally in the internet, once or twice, I had the wish to give up all I was doing and instead to meet my beloved one with a hot supper every evening after work because he is going to die one day. The right-wing press considers her, together with two or three poets, our mutual friends, the ones who corrupt the advanced youth with the contagion of liberalism. The owners of a youth cafe, it's a third part, belonging to a fashionable chain, have recently got fucked up with money so that they had to open a new spot without finishing the design work. Many customers think it was the designer's intention. 
There is nearly no cell connection here, there. And I have to dart out of the basement to the entrance now and then to check if the babe has sent a text message. I don't drink beer, so I'm not very comfortable there. But I've sat opposite the stairs and observed two girls and a guy with dreads running out occasionally in the same way. If you fall out of love with me, my red boy, I won't die. I mean, I will, but not from this, and not at once. For the time being, however, I am just one of those who have the reason to get from the underground, under the low sky of the approaching winter. And after that, I guess we shall present uh, one more poem of mine, one of the most recent ones, uh, as far as uh, its English translation was made literally uh, this day uh, at the translation seminar of uh, Emilia Glazer. Uh, so uh, we have the translator here. Uh, and we are kindly asking her to present the translation, and I will read it in Russian after, after that, okay? Thank you for the invite and for reading. Thanks, Amelia, for the assignment and for inviting me to. Okay. August 17, 1924, Bat-Sur-Mer, or Compactness, Separation Axiom. After rewriting the first page of the proof, lemmas about closed sets inside a normal space, he climbs out from behind his enormous oak table, throws off his clothes remaining only in his trunks, splashes of the Atlantic flying in through the window. In the little house, there's just one room, two beds, two disjoint sets kept separate by neighborhoods. It's windier today, so maybe it's not worth it. He's also getting slow, but jumps into the water anyway. Under him, the ocean groans and can't escape, but then gathers trend from Venezuela itself and spits him out onto the cliffs. The neighborhood around the point does not contain the second point. Ahead of me is half a century to finish writing everything he used to tell me in the mornings. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I wanted to uh, finish with it because it's uh, just a poem about love and death without any political background. Uh, uh, it's a real story of two greatest Russian mathematicians uh, and lovers. One of them had drowned in France almost 100 years ago. 17 августа 1924 года переписав первую страницу доказательства леммы о замкнутых множествах в нормальном пространстве он выбирается из-за огромного дубового стола сбрасывает одежду оставаясь в одних плавках брызги Атлантики залетают прямо в окно в домике всего одна комната, две кровати, два не пересекающихся множества, отделимы окрестностями. Ветреннее сегодня, 
может быть, и не стоит. Он тоже чуть медлит, но все же прыгает в воду. Океан под ним хрипит и не может вырваться, но потом набирает духу от самой Венесуэлы и выхаркивает его на скалы. Окрестность точки не содержит вторую точку. У меня впереди полвека на то, чтобы дописать все, о чем он рассказывал мне по утрам. Thanks a lot. If by chance any, any one of you uh, is interested in uh, asking something either about uh, my poems or which is um, maybe much more uh, reasonable about Russian poetry in general and Russian uh, LGBT poetry in particular uh, or anything else uh, at all, you are warmly welcome. Since you deal with a lot of different languages, do you feel that in, um, in a creative sense, different languages can offer different perspectives and views? Or like, uh, because the same thing or same story or same emotions might come up differently in different languages. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, obviously, uh, we owed to Sapir and Worf uh, a lot uh, with their uh, the, 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 the great linguists with their idea uh, that any language form its own uh, like worldview, and that is possibly true. Uh, The problem is that uh, belonging uh, oneself to one of them, it is not so easy to judge uh, about the difference, because there is a certain bias uh, anyway uh, uh, inside you. It's uh, like uh, imm uh, immanent to you. Uh, but obviously, as a translator, uh, every time I translate anything from any language. I consider uh, this opportunity that there is something uh, I cannot grasp uh, without being native speaker. And then there is uh, definitely something I cannot uh, recreate uh, in my language due to many different reasons. There are some like obvious ones when there is just not such a word like at all. It happens. In many cases, uh, um, uh, Amelia mentioned uh, the American poet Oliver Bendorf, uh, whom I uh, was the first to translate uh, into Russian. This is a transgender poet. So sometimes, Not in all, in all the points, but sometimes. He uses the, the words invented, created by the American transgender community because they need, need these words. But Russian transgender community haven't managed yet to create these words for these things. So I cannot translate these poems into Russian at all.
until Russian transgender community would decide how it is going to name this and that. It's very like a simple and superficial uh, example, uh, but uh, rather powerful uh, nevertheless, because uh, that is something that translator just cannot do, because it's not his or her task to decide how to name this and that. Uh, and yes, uh, there are many things of this kind, uh, but in most cases, these uh, problems are like solvable somehow. Uh, and the key to their solution, as for me, is the following. We are not, in most cases, we are not translating a poet, especially a poet. Maybe it's, it's not so true towards the prose. But we are not translating a poet into our language just to inform our readership that there is such a poet somewhere in Russia whose name is Dmitry Kuzmin. Because why audience should care? There is not a single reason for American readers to care. Unless this reader can read an English language poem which might impress. Right? Only after that only if this English language poem can stand for itself, can fight for itself. Only in this case, after that, upon reading, a reader might like Google the name. <laughs> uh, so, as long as that is true, uh, I would encourage translators to, to feel free, to a certain degree, obviously, uh, to keep the most important and to get rid of something that is not... Uh, uh, available for being recreated because first of all our obligation is to create the poem that is worth reading both for translators and, and poets thank you Inspirations from other forms of media, um, like yeah, films or music or art, or I just talk about inspirations in general. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yes, I, I even quoted uh, that, that Louis Malle's movie, uh, at the, at that poem. Uh, so it might happen. Uh, and uh, obviously, why not? Uh, because the inspiration might happen uh, like uh, any time and at any place. And yes, sometimes it might happen while watching a movie. Why not? Uh, movie is a good thing after all uh, um, and there is nothing to be afraid about it because you know in the previous time uh, there was a, like a common knowledge that it is not good for a writer to write from other people's writing, you don't have to do it because it's like second-rate things. You have to write from life. That is not reasonable. <laughs> because other writers' writing is a part of life as well. And in a sense, all of us write upon other writers writing not, not nothing not, nothing wrong about it uh, but besides that obviously the, the, uh, this is a uh, problem of like dialogue between different media uh, and uh, between different uh, like kinds of art uh, but it's, I would say it's not about inspiration. It's about uh, borrowing, uh, like, uh, methods and, uh, and instruments. Like, for instance, um, I'm not sure about English, English uh, terms here. Uh, how you would say in English, uh, uh, montage, primitively, kinematographer? Montage. Montage, like, editing, like... You, uh, do you understand what I'm talking about? Uh, in, 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 in movies, they are like edited a certain way. Uh, so uh, from the uh, close uh, filming, they switch to general uh, plans, right? Uh, and this uh, uh, like rhythm of changing is a uh, special feature of this movie or this film director, right? Uh, and this is the kind of uh, approach towards the composition of a piece of art. Because, uh, you know, arts are divided into, um, I'm not sure, uh, once again, about English terms, uh, the art of space and art of time. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It's Gotthold Ephraim Lessing, uh, the German scholar and philosopher, uh, uh, invented uh, this division. So poetry is uh, a, uh, an art uh, developing in time, just as movie. So it's uh, the composition of, of a poem uh, is in time rather than in space. Due to this fact, Poetry might borrow some compositional uh, instruments from cinema, and, in the, and it does it. 
during the whole 20th century, poetry did it. And it's very useful. On the, on the other hand, uh, when we remember projective verse by Charles Olson, the manifesto of uh, projective verse uh, by Charles Olson, we understand that uh, there is always uh, an attempt to see poetry as a space art as well. And this approach demands some borrowing from the visual art. So it works definitely, and it might work further. Anything else? I haven't uh, quoted. Oh, the two, the Russian mathematicians. Huh? What drew you to write about them? Yeah. Like why? Yeah. <laughs> um, see, uh, we gay people need examples. You Americans uh, yet had a lot. Uh, I mean, uh, public figures. Um, it's 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 a bit sad that most of them are pop singers, but but still, uh, still there is a certain like uh, set of uh, interesting examples uh, of public gay personalities. Uh, we in Russia uh, don't have it. We have uh, several poets and artists of the past, of the past, uh, like a handful, and that is all. Uh, and even today, when it seems not so big deal, I would say, uh, and uh, as distinct from Iran, or Saudi Arabia, uh, in Russia you wouldn't suffer so much upon coming out. But nobody does it. I mean public figures. Uh, not uh, like uh, teenagers uh, in social networks. Uh, teenagers are quite ready. Uh, unfortunately, maybe it's 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 too early for them. But 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 you know. Uh, and at the same time, obviously, we have our well, Russian gay history. It's it's just hidden yet, but it exists. Uh, those two mathematicians are absolutely real. They have names. They are. Uh, they belong belong to the founders of topology. Uh, the one who had drawn, his name was Pavel Urison. And the one who survived, his name uh, was Pavel Alexandrov. They are very well known Russian uh, scientists. Uh, Everybody uh, uh, knows 
that they uh, were traveling together. Everybody knows that uh, that story uh, took place. Nobody never admitted that they were lovers. So it's absolutely obvious. It's absolutely evident. Especially due to the fact that after Urson died, Alexandrov lived uh, about almost 60 years of his father's life together with another, even greatest Russian mathematician, Andrei Kolmogorov. They lived together for the whole their lives. Uh, and still it is kind of not a topic for discussion. So, on the one hand, I feel like obligation to write about it. And on the other hand, it's just like a really striking story for me. It's not just like life and death. All, all, all the literature is about life and death. Not a big deal. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's also the story about talent and possibilities and uh, the price. Uh, you are so clever, you are so talented, but you also want to be a good swimmer. That's probably too much. <laughs> uh, and so on, you know? So there are many reasons to meditate about this story. So, anything else? deciding on the terms for LGBT plus people. How do you, do you have any ideas about going about presenting them in media? Especially because I think as the community is building those terms, currently those terms are created by people in privilege. So I do not feel comfortable using them. But at the same time, I still need some keywords to kind of bring people to my media. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions or ideas for that. Oh, maybe I'm not a good expert in this because uh, this uh, whole uh, theme of privileges is very national specific. Well, everywhere some people uh, have some privilege, but they, they are very different people and very different privileges in different societies. When I am reading something about uh, this uh, struggle in the United States, I understand that there are many things I don't understand. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, because, it, well, you know, for instance, colonization. Uh, this word means very different things for, like, all European countries for the United States and for Russia. All of them uh, were like 
colonial uh, powers somehow. But they be, uh, behaved very differently. All of them were oppressive, but in very different methods and with very different consequences. Uh, so I mean, uh, we must be very careful about sharing our experience uh, in this kind of uh, problems. Because uh, we might, um, inst instead of uh, like helping other people and other nations to get uh, freer, we might uh, uh, play uh, like a new uh, new kind of colonial uh, game with them, kind of uh, providing them, them with our experiences and our approaches which might be not so uh, good for them. I uh, experienced it uh, myself when in early 90, 90s uh, the leaders of American uh, gay rights movement visited uh, Russia and some of them were absolutely legendary, like Harry Hay, uh, he was very old at that moment, but uh, still active. And he was one of the founder of gay rights movement in the United States back then in, in, in 50s. I saw him lecturing in Moscow. But what he was talking about was absolutely unusable outside of the United States of America. Although he was a great man. And we all deserve, uh, well, uh, we, uh, uh, well, he, he deserves uh, a lot of prey, uh, like honor and, and, you know. So, uh, I'm not sure what, what, what is the, mo the most uh, right uh, way here. Um, in some cases, obviously, we can try to provide underrepresented uh, groups and underrepresented voices with a certain help, uh, with uh, a certain like propositions, proposals, including some wording, wording, right? Uh, but uh, it might not uh, work uh, so good for poetry because when you write article, if you don't pretend you belong to the community, you, you don't belong in fact, if you admit that you are reviewing their situation from the outside, it might be not bad to use or even invent some words Right? But you cannot uh, expect them to acquire these words and use them uh, as if these are their words. 
They might do so, but you never know. And when you read poetry, and when you translate poetry written by somebody belonging, in this case, you have no right to, uh, to talk, to speak from their point of view if you don't know uh, how they might do, do it. It, it's, it's, it, it would be fake. But uh, writing articles, writing essays, uh, uh, writing slogans for the demonstration, maybe something is possible. Thank you for your attention.